Good afternoon, church, or evening, or whenever you're going to be listening to this. I hope this video finds you well and standing on the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. Uh, I really miss you guys. And uh, before this virus stuff happened, uh, my wife and I were talking about it. I had interactions with over around, somewhere around 50 people each week because of different Bible studies and things like that. And so now that we can't gather all the time, I'm really missing being able to fellowship with with all of you, and so a little shout out to my uh, Bible study people. I miss you guys, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to get together again soon. Um, and just a few days ago, we and uh, Christians all over the world uh, celebrated in remembrance of Jesus' death and his resurrection, and um, it was the pinnacle of all moments in history. Uh, and this, the suffering and death of Jesus Christ is, is the most significant event um, that anyone has ever known or ever will know. Those terrible um, but wonderful three days when uh, the creator of the heavens and the earth came. Uh, he, he lived a sinless life and he suffered and died uh, um, for the atonement of our sins. He took his life up again, however. Our, our Savior is alive and um, what hope that brings to us, uh, especially in days like this that we live in. What a mighty God. Uh, and though we're not able to meet together as the body of Christ during this time, I hope you're able to uh, listen to the videos that have been put out by the elders, uh, especially during uh, Passion Week, as we try to encourage you and bring our focus in on Christ. And um, I hope you're able to watch the, the Good Friday service and our Resurrection Sunday service as well. I just want to say uh, thank you to Chase uh, for all his hard work on these videos. Um, he, he's been putting in a lot of hours and making these things happen, so we really appreciate that. Uh, he's got a lot of talent in that area that certainly I don't have. Um, and so I hope that you've been able to reflect on the significance of Christ uh, and your salvation that's found in him uh, during, these, during these weeks. As I said on the Good Friday service, there are many things surrounding the death of our Lord that we could pick apart and uh, get a lot of instructive and valuable knowledge from. And today I wanted to piggyback off of one, of the, one aspect of something that Matthew said in his gospel uh, account of the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. Uh, and this, this thing that can be easily overlooked uh, when we read the scriptures. Uh, and so I wanted to, to look at that today and there are three specific supernatural events that took place the moment that Jesus died on the cross. Um, and we see those documented in, in Matthew's gospel. The veil was torn, uh, the earth shook and the rocks split, and the tombs were opened. And uh, dead saints came to life and, and wandered around and, and uh, uh, met with people. These are extremely significant events. But what I would like to do is, is to look at just the first of these three, uh, the tearing of the veil in the temple at Jerusalem. And to pick up a Bible and read the words uh, that Matthew wrote in Matthew 27, 51, where he says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This brings up a question. So what? Uh, if, if I read up a, read a, read, pick up a Bible and read it and... Um, and don't know any background or context behind that, it can sound like it has no meaning to it. Um, and so we ask the question, why is it significant that, that the veil was torn? 
And to understand this, we do need context and we need to go uh, to know what the veil was and what it was for. And, and so to do that, we want to go back in the Old Testament scriptures and see what God said about that. Matthew's Jewish audience certainly understood the significance of uh, the veil. Uh, so let's go back and look at some of the information we have about the veil and uh, to learn what the significance of this event was. <clears throat> Excuse me. In order for um, sinful man to commune with a holy God, God gave instructions to Moses uh, regarding a tabernacle or a, a tent of meeting. Uh, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, God gave very detailed instructions to Moses about um, how things were to be set up in the tabernacle. And this was uh, the place where unholy people could approach a holy God. It would be this way for 400 years until Solomon's temple was built uh, as a more permanent structure, but still set up in the same way that God had, uh, had commanded. There was a room known as the holy place where the priests would do their daily service uh, with the, the incense and the bread of presence and the, the lampstands and such. Uh, but there was an inner room where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Uh, the focal point of the tabernacle uh, and the, the temples that followed was where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Uh, this room was known as the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And here is where God spoke to the high priest above the mercy seat. The thing that separates this Most Holy Place from the Holy Place was a veil or a curtain. And this instruction was given to Moses uh, when God gave him all the instructions uh, for the tabernacle down to the finest detail. Um, but we see the specific instruction for the veil and what it was for in Exodus 26. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn to Exodus 26, we'll look at verses 31 uh, through 34, just for a little background on, on what the veil, how the veil was constructed and what it was for. So Exodus 26, 31 through 34. Then you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Okay, we can see clearly there that it is, uh, when it says that the ark was brought within the veil, that means it's behind the veil, it's on the other side. Um, and so it's, it's extremely significant, this inner room, this most holy place. Um, and this and all of these things were set up and all of the observances uh, that the Jews had to do all amplified the separateness of sinful people from a holy God. Uh, and, it, and it seems that nothing represented man's inability to approach a holy God more than this veil that hung there uh, in, um, in between the holy place and the most holy place. Uh, in addition to the daily animal sacrifice uh, for sin at the temple, there were sacrifices made once a year uh, on the Day of Atonement by the high priest. And those were made in the 
the Holy of Holies. The high priest was the only one who could enter this place. Um, and he could only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement where he would take the blood of an animal and offer it uh, and sprinkle some of that blood on the mercy seat to atone for his own sin first and then for the sins of the people. Um, sacrifices were made day after day and year after year constantly because of sin and the people's sin could never truly be forgiven. They could only temporarily be made right with God through the blood of animals and uh, they needed a high priest to go through that veil uh, and appeal to God on their behalf. So what was the point of these sacrifices being made if over and over for centuries if they were not really taking care of the people's sin? Well, just like the law of God or the Ten Commandments uh, were not given so that man can do them and be saved, the sacrificial system was not given to actually deal with man's sin. These things are meant to be pictures or shadows of a future reality. And God's law was given to expose man as a sinner and that, and that in his inability to keep the law, he would see his desperate need of a savior. So at the right time, Jesus came and lived a sinless human life in man's place, fulfilling the law that man could not. And so the law was given to point man to their need for a savior, Jesus Christ. In the same way, the sacrificial system uh, was given to show that because of man's sin, uh, his life was required of him. But by transferring his sin to the perfect animal, the animal's blood would be shed and its life taken in man's place. Hebrews 9.22 says, And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So blood had to be shed. But this was imperfect uh, and had to be done over and over, day after day, year after year. Why? Because as the author of Hebrews says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Then why do it? In this way, the point of all the sacrificial system was never about the animals actually taking away people's sins, but to point man to his need of a truly perfect and effective sacrifice. Again, this pointed man to his need for Jesus Christ. Every effort of man to deal with his own sin and, and unrighteousness uh, is useless. Before Jesus' death and resurrection, the people of God relied upon imperfect sacrifices to deal with their sin and breaking God's law. They had an imperfect high priest as their representative because uh, he was a sinner as well uh, and the only one ever permitted to approach God, God's throne in the, in the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and not even whenever he wanted, uh, only once a year and, without, and with great preparation because of his own sin. Um, the people could not approach God and nothing represented that more than this veil uh, that they had always had there. It's always separated the people from approaching God's throne. From the original tab tabernacle to Solomon's temple, and now in Jesus' time, in, in Herod's temple, this veil was an absolute barrier between what was unholy and what was holy. So when Matthew writes these words about the veil at Jesus' death, we can see 
some of the significance now. This, this was big news uh, to first century Jews. They had always known separation from God, first because of sin and then by this physical reminder of this veil um, that kept them separate from, from being able to approach God. Uh, to try and get through that veil would have killed a man. Yet Matthew says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This is a call to see, uh, to have it be known that what he's about to say has everything to do with the death of Jesus Christ and what it accomplished. So shocking were these events that even the Roman centurion standing by there declared, truly this was the Son of God. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was not cut nicely and evenly with giant scissors. It was not carefully handled based on its sacredness. No, it was torn. Uh, some translations uh, that you may have uh, use the word rent. It was rent in two. And this means there was, there was violence involved in this. Uh, this is an exclamation from God that this thing is gone. Symbolizing the way to God is now open uh, to everyone for all time, specifically because of the death of our Lord. And in case we're tempted uh, to think that this could have been done by man, it was torn from top to bottom, uh, from a height of probably over 30 feet. Um, only God could have done this, this, this mighty and instantaneous act of tearing this veil. In, in this instant, Jesus had become the high priest. Uh, Jesus had done what no other high priest had ever done. Not only that, he will never have to do it again. I have a couple other passages I want to look at in Hebrews that, that help explain this. And, and keeping in mind that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to Jews, um, of course, after Christ's uh, death and resurrection and ascension. Uh, but these were written to help them understand. And so uh, I wanted to read a couple of passages. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look, uh, I'll be in Hebrews 9, Hebrews 4, and Hebrews 10. Uh, if that's helpful. Hebrews 9, 24, and 26 says, For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year, with, the, with blood not his own. For then he would have to had suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So as our high priest, Jesus enters the Holy of Holies with his own blood and offers that for us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then, with confidence, Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And again, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. It says, therefore, I'm going to go actually through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full, with full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. As these scriptures were written to Jews, these events had special significance. Uh, imagine they, they came to faith in Christ, the freedom uh, that they could feel from the bondage of sin and the sacrificial system, from the bondage of striving and, and working at the law to be made right with God. True freedom through Christ has come. And from the day Jesus died, there has never been a need for any further sacrifice. Never again a need to go through a, a priest to approach God. There's now a new, and what we're told, living way. Uh, and when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it. He had done the work. It is finished. The work of living a perfect, sinless life for us was done. The work of taking on the wrath of God and dying to atone for sin was done. The work for man to be made righteous through his resurrection was done. The true and eternal way to enter God's presence was accomplished. And this is not only significant for first century Jews, but for us as well. This new and living way has gone forth in the gospel, and we are saved in the same way. Whether Jew or Gentile, we're saved in the same way, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ and his work, what he has done. Brothers and sisters, this breathes new life into familiar passages of Scripture like John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except what? Through me. There is no other way. But why would we want one? This is the greatest kindness you will ever know. Why was the veil torn? Because all men now have access to God through this new and living way, through our Savior Jesus Christ, through his own blood, through his torn flesh. This was always the plan. All the scriptures point to Christ and his sufficient work. This is great news. And so when we read passages of scripture, like in Matthew 27, where this veil was torn, we get greater understanding and significance out of that when we go back and look at all of scripture and see why does this mean something, this torn veil. And remember, it is not just for Jews. It is for all men. The way of salvation is the same for everyone. It is through Christ, through faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross. So I wanted to share that with you guys today and, and hope that's encouraging to you as it, as it has been to me. And uh, we love you and I look forward to being able to meet with you soon. God bless you guys and um, may God's grace and peace be with you.